Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sangai Nation. Welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sangai with you as normal. Good son Andrew Michelson is on assignment today. He won't be joining us, but... Let me get into some show notes before we jump to our guest today. If you are looking for some wrestling tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. SOS in our neck of the woods in Tacoma, Washington tonight. CCW in Kissimmee, Florida. And 907 in Anchorage, Alaska tonight. Tomorrow night, Supreme Wrestling in Madison, Indiana. Generation Next in Jeffersonville, Indiana. MPW in Omaha, Nebraska. PPW in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. 907 back tomorrow night in Anchorage, Alaska. And EWA happening in Frankfort, Kentucky. Without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the show. He is an icon and a legend when it comes to independent professional wrestling. King Kalua, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, no problem. You really uh, are, are are reaching all over the country, so I'm really impressed with uh, how much indie wrestling there really is in this, uh, in this great country. So, hey, maybe I'll get booked in Alaska. I don't know. <laughs> I can point you towards the right people. <laughs> I don't gonna as long as I don't have to pay a booking fee, I'm good. <laughs> there we go. Well, since today happens to be your first time with us, surprisingly enough, I want to start you out with our traditional first timer question. How did you get into this crazy business of professional wrestling? Well, uh it uh I actually started um investigating this way back in 1982 when probably most of your listeners weren't even born yet um but uh i was uh, i was a um i was always involved with sports whether in high school or uh at college and um i started working out and uh spent a lot of time in weight rooms and so I developed a size that was actually, oh, okay, maybe I'm big enough to do this because I always liked wrestling. So at the gym I belonged to, there was a um, uh, there was a um, an agent, sports agent, um, and he suggested, why don't I look into it? Now he had no connections, uh, but that put the uh, the idea in my head, and so. Uh, the, the first person I came across was Larry Sharp. Now, Larry Sharp had the uh, the Monster Factory at the time. I mean, it, it maybe probably wasn't even called the Monster Factory at that point. Um, and 
he had trained some people already. So he had trained he had uh, he had trained um, King Kong Bundy, and uh, one of the people at the school uh, at that point just breaking in was Bam Bam Bigelow. So um, I had some discussions with Larry, and uh, I lived in the Philadelphia area, so uh, his his training. Uh, his training school was over in Jersey, so that was a little bit of a, for me, a little bit of a turnoff because it was a hike. And I subsequently found a guy who was a bouncer at a bar closer to where I live, in the Philadelphia area. And uh, this guy's name was the uh, Concrete Cowboy went by, and he did some work for um, Bruno Sammartino's group. Uh, I forget what it was called. I'm not sure if it was called the IC. It may have been called the ICW. Um, or, yeah, I think that's what it may have been called. And uh, he did some work with them. And uh, he was opening up a school, ironically, uh, in an area really close by to where I lived. So he was cheaper. Uh, I didn't have any type of contractual uh, requirements like I would have if I went with Larry and so I went with him and that's where I started uh, I was in a uh, <laughs> I learned in a stationary boxing ring so that was really stiff but um, he opened the doors for me and then from there I sort of um, I sort of charted my own course um, he he didn't stay around that much longer um, but I did, and now it's 40 years later, and I'm still doing it. <laughs> when you broke into professional wrestling, the territorial system was in place, which is much different than the independent system of today. Most territories allowed a wrestler to work full-time in the business if they chose. Uh, the independent system, usually you have to supplement your wrestling income in order to survive financially. Usually on the independence, shows will be weekly or sometimes monthly, sometimes even quarterly, whereas in the, in the, the territorial days, you had six to seven days of shows per territory. Do you think, having worked in both systems, one was superior over the other as far as learning the business and being able to survive in the business? Well, Sarah, that's a, that's an interesting question because uh, for me, uh, the, the closest that I worked uh, in a territory would have been with this group, uh, the the uh, IWCCW up in New England. That was Mario Savaldi's group. But I've always had a regular full-time job, only because uh, uh, independent wrestling, territory wrestling, you, you're just not making the kind of money that that I would need to survive. Uh, so, uh, but then that that held me back from probably getting a, a, a bigger break. Um, and working for one of their bigger organizations. Now, as as, as far as uh, the, the territories, 
uh, those were a, a, a great place to be to learn your craft because you are working five, six nights out of the week. Now, the, the type of money you were making was, <laughs> was not great. Uh, if you were a fan favorite, you always had a chance to sell merchandise and be able to maybe get people to pick up a few meals for you. So um, uh, you, you're really almost going, uh, <laughs> you're doing that with the hopes of getting picked up with one of the larger organizations. But that's where you, you get a lot of really good experience uh, working a territory, working uh, every night, working a program with um, with whatever associated TV you had. So, um, but for me, that really wasn't an option that I that, that I chose. Um, two two reasons. One, uh, my the guy who trained me did not have those types of con uh, those types of contacts. Uh, I subsequently met people that could have gotten me into. Uh, a territory like Tennessee or Puerto Rico, um, maybe even the Pacific Northwest, but um, I always wanted to have the financial security of of, of having a um, uh, a real profession that made uh, <laughs> where I made some good money. Understood. Right, but but the the. Um, the indie world, uh, at the time when I broke in, uh, was just start was was just sort of getting started uh, in the uh, in the East Coast, because pretty much at that point in the East Coast, you just had um, you just had WWWF, uh, that was it, and um, there was a, another group that was called, I think it was called ICW, and I think that was Mario Savoldi. I think Bruno had some involvement with it. Uh, and they ran some shows, not so much on uh, more t- out towards maybe Pittsburgh, maybe a few shows here and there on the East Coast. Uh, so when it happened for me, uh, I started working for a lot of these like smaller promotions that started up. Now, it, it's nothing like the indie circuit uh, is right now because there are a ton of indie promotions, and um, they didn't draw like like like, like we drew. Uh, we would have you know six eight hundred thousand people at an indie show, which nowadays would be considered tremendous. Uh, but that was fairly routine back in the day. And I found myself wrestling quite often because there wasn't that many guys uh, available. Back back then, there were very few schools around. I think you had, um, you had of course, Larry Sharp. You had uh, Dominic DiNucci training people out in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, we had another gentleman by the name of Mark Tendler who was training people up in uh, New York. Uh, so there really wasn't a whole lot of um, talent out there. So I would find myself in New England one week. I would be in Maryland the next week. I would be out in western Pennsylvania or, or Ohio. So uh, I really get I really got to to um, uh, 
to to really get a chance to uh, make a name for myself uh, in the independence in the uh, in the Northeast and in the uh, Mid Atlantic. One of the things that most wrestlers had as far as goals, if they were on the independent circuit in the 80s and early 90s, was getting a look at the national companies on television. When you were uh, getting started on the independents, the AWA and World Class still had ESPN shows, WWF of course, was on USA Network. The NWA had a presence on TBS. So there were uh, ways to get extra work with the companies and be on national television if you were an independent. Did you ever get many opportunities to do extra work for the larger companies? Yes, I did. This, was, this would have been in the mid-'80s. Uh, I did some work for the AWA, and so uh, we were um, uh, we were on uh, ESPN, and uh, I was pretty well liked uh, there as, uh, as 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 almost a, a, a Johnny Rods type uh, for uh, for that group. And what was great about that was uh, I, I got to wrestle some some really major talent. So I wrestled people like Sergeant Slaughter, um, Nick Bockwinkle, uh, Rick Martel, um, Bob Backlund, and so uh, and the matches were competitive. So um, Vern Vern uh, Ganya actually took a liking to me, and I was hoping that that might have opened the door, but it turned out that they stopped doing TV in the Atlantic City area. They moved it out to Las Vegas, and uh, quite then then after that, pretty much the um, uh, the operation shut down. So that was the closest that I had uh, in terms of. Um, uh, getting a, a big a big break, uh, so uh, but that was good though because it opened up even more doors uh, for me on the indie circuit because I started getting booked with some of the name guys as main events on the indie shows, people that I worked with uh, uh, with the uh, with on AWA. So I found myself uh, headlining a lot of cards with Sarge and Slaughter on some of these. Uh, indie shows, and these indie shows drew really well, and so um, that's that's how that worked out. Now the uh, the the world class merged with this ICW group that I worked for up in New England, and they were actually syndicated in different parts of the country on some of the smaller cable networks. But it went all over the country, so I would go into a town, say in Virginia, uh, as a on, a on an indie card. But people would recognize me from the TV exposure I had there, so um, that actually worked out really well. And again, they brought up the uh, up there. They they did bring in some talent too uh, from Puerto Rico and from down south. So. Uh, that was also a way to I think broaden my experience. So um, yeah, the the ESPN uh, coverage I think uh, really helped 
uh, get me more additional bookings on the indie circuit. You and I shared a locker room for the first time at a promotion that is near and dear to me, that being Gouge Pro Wrestling in Raleigh, North Carolina. I know you have worked there a few times. How did you first get involved with Gouge? Oh, geez. Uh, I don't even remember that organization. I think that was with uh, with Count Grog, perhaps? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So th- that was my end with, uh, with them. So uh, they were doing a memorial show for uh, Big Slam, and uh, I was pretty good friends with him. So I came down there for, for them and, and worked that card. Um, I love working down in the um, uh, I love working down south because the fans are uh, are more spirited there, and uh, they, they do sort of appreciate an old school wrestling type um, uh, type card, which I fit in well with. I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not a deathmatch sort of guy, so uh, I like working down south because I think the crowds are a little bit more spirited. One of the other things that you are noted for is you were around when ECW was very first forming in Philadelphia and becoming a promotion. What was it like at that time wrestling in what would later become one of the national companies? Well... Yeah, I was there at I was there at the beginning uh, when uh, Todd Gordon uh, was was the promoter, and uh, a guy named a guy by the name of Larry Winters and I think AJ Petrucci were were doing the booking then, and so they were using a lot of local Philly guys, um, and the, the 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 Philly audience really uh, sort of. Uh, what was more of a hardcore audience, uh, and, and that's really where a lot of the hardcore started to uh, really come about. Even before Eddie Gilbert got there, and then when uh, when Paul Heyman got there, then it really got to uh, the point where it became you know, really hardcore and uh, like R R rated wrestling as opposed to the uh, the more family oriented wrestling. Uh, so uh, I I sort of pulled out before Eddie Gilbert got there. Um, it, it just was it just wasn't necessarily you know my cup of tea, and I, and I was getting bookings elsewhere, and so I would I didn't think that my particular uh, style and presentation really fit in well. Um, in retrospect, I would probably have been somebody who could have been used as uh the anti hardcore guy um but yeah that uh, it was it was interesting at that time because uh that's where like i think a lot that the indies really started to to multiply at that point because of the proliferation of all these different wrestling schools uh once the wrestling schools started popping up more and more guys were out there, 
and uh, it made it a little bit harder to to, to get bookings too. Uh, but um, yeah, that was my uh, yeah. I was out of the ECW uh, right before um, right right before I think Eddie Gilbert got there. And an, another thing with the ECW is that they really didn't have. Um, they were running the ECW arena, but really didn't have a whole lot of house shows. Uh, which is which is what I was most interested interested in is getting booked on those house shows, uh, but uh, you know that I was able to still keep myself busy without uh, relying on them. You also appeared on MTV in the early two thousands as uh, one of their like, reality wrestling shows that they aired <laughs> that era. What can you tell us about how you got to be on MTV? <laughs> well, that was that was interesting. Um, uh, I'm I'm really good friends uh, with uh, Tom Brandy, and um, who works with Sal Sincere, but he was Tom Brandy at the time. And um, actually, Tony Atlas booked us, and they were coincidentally doing a MTV special where they followed three wrestlers around. Uh, one was a, uh, a, a brand-new guy. Uh, the other was uh, Triple H, and so, meaning somebody who was current, and then someone who was older, which was Tony Atlas. So Tony, Tony Atlas booked us for three shows up in New England, and um, well, the, the first show came off, the second show didn't, and there was a discrepancy with money and uh <laughs> it turned out to be pretty funny. Uh we got our money and and then we came home. Uh we were, we were supposed to we were booked for 3 days, we only wrestled once and we, we got paid for the other 2 days and it's like, well, okay, I guess we're done. Uh but that was uh that was for a, a short-lived promotion up there. Um uh, I used to love wrestling up in Maine. Uh, we did a lot up in New England with this ICW group. We were on regular TV up there, and um, uh, the, the it was just coincidental that they were doing footage for the MTV special. We didn't know anything about it, and then all of a sudden, uh, when we were there, they, they they did some interviews with us about what happened, and, um, and all of a sudden, it turned out. Uh, that that was on, I think, real life or whatever it's called. But yeah, it was a, a wrestling documentary. We had no plan to be on it. Speaking of Maine, one of the more well-known wrestling personalities out of Maine is former WCW announcer Chris Cruz. And in the last couple of years on social media, he's become sort of a controversial figure. Uh, he turned AEW into the State Athletic Commission in Maryland. He has regularly decried several older veteran wrestlers uh, still wrestling, uh, calling for them to retire. He's been sort of a, a controversial figure online, if you will. Do you have any thoughts on how Chris Cruz is presenting himself on social media? <laughs> uh, 
Well, uh, I've actually been um, I've been in his crosshairs as well, so uh, I know his whole thing. I, I don't I don't get it um, now. What he's doing um, with uh, uh, some of the things that he's done, uh, he's going to really uh, he's really raised the ire of a lot of people. Uh, I know he's um, he, he's not uh, he's he's not a big fan, uh, and a continual con- he continually attacks uh, George South, Tommy Rich, um, uh, Ricky Morton. And, you know, I was on cards with Tommy. Tommy's a great guy. Um, I work with with Ricky. Ricky's a great guy. And I I just don't know how, I mean, he, I don't associate him with being being around wrestling all that long and to have that type of an authority to be able to take shots at these guys. Uh, George South, I don't know. Uh, but you know, I, I'm in that same boat. Um, age-wise, I'm probably about to be close to those guys. Uh, I've been around. I, I've been around not as long as as Ricky or or Tommy, but um, probably just maybe a little bit longer than George. And there really isn't uh, there really isn't a need for that. Um, when you go to a wrestling match, uh, especially in an indie card. I, there, it's it's good to see the variety. Now I tell people that in my matches because they're really old school matches. Um, I'm like a novelty, right? But it's that ver- it's that variety that makes the wrestling a little bit more interesting. So people people who are um, people are going to people are going to boo me. They're going to chant. Uh, I'm going to get the crowd riled up. Um, I'm not going to um, do all the flippy stuff, but I look like an old school wrestler because I am an old school wrestler. So I think he's really off base, and um, I know he has a, a handful of followings. Um, I, I do like laughing at his uh, bad indie posters, but he's not making many friends. Uh, in the wrestling world, especially trying to turn uh, uh, going to the state athletic commission about people uh, and blocking them from making uh, from making money, uh, that's not a real smart thing to do. But some of the folks in this business, so um, like I said, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know what he gets out of it, but um, I guess to each his own. On the flip side of that, one of the organizations that tries to help benefit professional wrestling and keep the history alive and really celebrates all of the legends of our industry is the Cauliflower Alley Club. They have the annual meeting every year where people from within the business come together. They run seminars, they have cribbage tournaments, there's live wrestling shows attached to it now. They do a lot of good with their benevolent foundation to help wrestlers in financial need for whatever reason. What do you think of the CAC? Oh, I've, I, 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 if, if I was able to, uh, I would, uh, I would, 
I would go to that. Um, I would go to Las Vegas every uh, every year. Uh, I've only been to one uh, because of my schedule, but uh, I, I loved going there. Um, and uh, and and a lot of my friends are there. People who I've met, people who I've worked with and haven't seen for years. Um, I remember running into Scott Hall there, and I said, Scott, I wrestled you when you first started. <laughs> Uh, I said, oh, you were you were a handful. Uh, and uh, I saw another guy who uh, wasn't a big time wasn't a big time uh, wrestler, but uh, he was on shows that I were on that, that I was on in Jersey City back in like 1983. And I'm I'm walking through and I'm like, wait, I know you. And so it was great. Uh, but also to to meet some of the other again the the, the older guys, um, that's what that's what I sort of enjoy because I sort of uh, really don't follow wrestling now unless I'm unless I'm involved. But if I get a chance, last time I was out there, I was uh, working out and who came in but the Adrian Street, and um, he, he's one of the funniest wittiest guys that I've ever met in wrestling. And uh, I was up with him in um in uh, in Maine. He was up there for uh, one or two tours. Um he's a he, he's a funny guy. And uh it, so so meeting some of those types of people that um that that are real legends in the business, uh I, I that was that was worthwhile. I did go out there, and I wrestled. Uh, they had a battle royal, so I packed some gear, and I said, okay, I'll go in it and play around. Um, but but now I'm, I'm getting to the point where uh, some of these other guys who, you know, some of them have made it, uh, made, you know, made names for themselves, but uh, I wrestled them when they were first starting. And so it's sort of neat to catch up with them. Uh, to be able to, you know, and they, and they they invariably say, hey, I, I really, you know, I learned a lot from you working with you back in the day, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I really think it's a, I think it's a great organization. Um, I was hoping that they would move it back to April, but I think uh, this year it was in September, and I think that may they may have moved that I think to September's now. Uh, where, the, where, the, where the big event in Las Vegas is. It used to be in April, uh, which worked out better for me schedule-wise. But uh, I, I'm hoping – I think now it's maybe late August when they have it this year. And I, I'd really like to try and get out there because uh, it, it was a great uh, – it was a great four days. One of the things in professional wrestling that – everyone has to deal with at some point is blood in wrestling, whether it's planned or not. A lot of states have regulations on the books when it comes to what you have to do if blood is introduced during a match. I know you've been around enough to have seen plenty of blood in your career, whether it was by accident or not, if it was your own or an opponent's. A lot of people have opinions on it just because of what medical sciences taught us over the last few years with bloodborne pathogens. Do you have an opinion on blood within pro wrestling as it sits in 2024? 
Um, I don't really think uh, it's necessary, uh, but when when people have these um, death matches, those are hardcore death matches, you almost expect that to happen. And uh, for me, that's not the type of show that I'm going to get booked on. So on a regular, say, uh, a regular show that somebody's trying to book and it's going to be, quote, family-friendly, I really don't think there's a... Uh, there's a place for it or a need for it. Now, again, if you're if you're catering to a hardcore audience, expect it. And so I just don't. I mean, without without uh, getting involved with those types of shows uh, or the shows that I'm on, there there there's not a need for it. So uh, and again, with, with the with the potential health risks. Um, you you don't want to be careful. So if it's not needed, if it's not needed for for anything, I I would just leave it alone. If you're going to be on a if you're going to be in a uh, a hardcore death match, you have more things to worry about uh, getting hurt than bloodborne pathogens. <laughs> so I um, said for me that that's it's just not not part of my repertoire, and I don't particularly care for it. Another thing that a lot of wrestlers have experienced, especially in the time frame where you were breaking in, are the scary fan incidents where fans go over a line when they don't like something in the ring, whether they attack a wrestler or throw something or whatever the case may be. A lot of us have experienced some pretty scary fan moments what would you say has been your scariest fan moment? Hmm. Well, I, I like to tell people that I've had more different, uh, such a wide variety of things thrown at me uh, over the years. So let me uh, list some of them. Uh, I wrestled in a bullfighting stadium in, uh, in Ecuador, uh, and they were throwing oranges. And so, and this was at a big, this was at a bullfighting stadium with about 7,500 people. And these oranges were coming at me from all over the place. And if you get hit with an orange in the head, you're going to get hurt. So that was interesting. Uh, I wrestled in Italy, uh, another big crowd, about maybe 13,000 people. They were throwing coins. They were throwing lira. So... So um funny thing with that is after the match uh and after they cleared the arena I went around the uh the outside of the ring and collected a whole bunch of coins. I don't know what they were worth, but it was like, okay, if I'm going to get hit with these things, that's all right. So um I also had one uh, uh one of the more interesting things I got hit with were test tube uh cork test tube stoppers. Uh, it was a, a show at a high school out in Long Island, and uh, they must have broke into the biology class, and they were throwing these uh, cork, uh, <laughs> these, these these cork test tube stoppers. I remember getting hit with those. Uh, one of the ones that, that maybe concerned me the most was uh, I was wrestling um, Virgil, the um, Ted DiBiase's guy. Um, <laughs> 
he had he 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 became a, a fan favorite, and I was wrestling him at a Labor Day show in the Philadelphia in the Philadelphia uh, not but in the Reading, Pennsylvania. And uh, it was at a baseball stadium, and it was packed, and it was all union people, a bunch of Teamsters. And so I, I cut a really tough promo before the show about not needing unions, and it takes seven people to hammer one nail into a, into a board. And uh, so the, 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 the ring was, in the, was set up in the infield. And uh, I had I had Virgil covered, and then I felt some someone pull my leg, and somebody pulled me off of Virgil. It was a guy that came out of the stands onto the field, and I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And um, that's the only place where I asked for a police escort out of the uh, out of the arena. So that was that was probably my most concerning um, uh, ex- experience, but. Uh, Dodging the oranges was also um, uh, up there in terms of danger. Now I could feel. I, now one Jersey Jersey City show, as I was going through the crowd, I remember something sharp hitting me in the back. So I'm not sure if it was a knife or if it was something else, but uh, that was that was early on in my career. So. Uh, I didn't know what to expect then. So at the time, I was like a little concerned. But uh, the, the crowds are much more tame now, so uh, I don't have to worry too much. I mean, I still am a, a, a person who gets a lot of uh, a lot of heat from the audience, but uh, the, the people are much more well controlled now. We have a game that we like to play on the show. We call it Word Association. I will throw out the names of some people that you most likely have come in contact with over the course of your career. And the first word or two that comes to mind is the answer. Are you prepared for some word association? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. First name, Tom Brandy. Tom Brandy. Uh, uh, He's my best friend. Boris Zukov. Boris Zukov, big head. <laughs> Count Grog. Count Grog uh, needs to lose the beard. Shane Taylor. Shane Taylor, is that um, is that who's Shane Taylor? He's uh, with Ring of Honor. Great big power guy. I don't know him. Okay, no worries. Casey Carlisle. I met her way back when... Nice girl. Tony Atlas. Tony Atlas. Um, hmm, word association. Had a great match with him. J.T. Smith. Where is he? Miss him. Seymour Snot. Not familiar with that guy. Marty Gennetti. Marty Gennetti. Um, Hmm. Wish I could have wrestled him. Jim Brunzel. 
Great drop kick. Vic Steamboat. Vic or Rick? Vic. Vic, great opponent. Iron Sheik. The absolute funniest man in professional wrestling. Dory Funk Jr. Great ambassador to the sport. Learned I learned from him. Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, best maybe the maybe one of the best gimmicks ever. Final name Gary Michael Capetta. Oh, um consummate professional. Maybe one of may maybe the best. Alright, that wraps up Ward Association. One I'm, of I'm, glad big, I, I'm glad I knew most of the folks there. <laughs> yep, yep. Always helps if we pick familiar names. One of the things in pro wrestling that has become sort of a big story in the last couple of months is the motion picture the Iron Claw, it, of course, chronicles the lives and the careers of the Von Erich family. And in the last few weeks since it's released, a lot of fans have had mixed emotions about the film, some upset that it was not 100% historically accurate. Other people thought it was very, very good as a motion picture uh, based on a real story. Others thought it was not as good as what it could have been based on the real story. Have you seen the film and formed an opinion on it? You know, I, I'm not a movie guy, but uh, I was out, as a matter of fact, with, uh, with Tom Brandy, and he, he went out to see it. And we were both laughing at one spot in the um, uh, in the uh, in the movie that he had mentioned, um, and it was about uh, Kevin's inability to do a a promo. And uh, he said that was so spot on that it's almost like you had a, it was almost like an inside joke. Because uh, he was, he did a, a couple tours with us up in um, up in New England, and he had to cut a promo, and it must have took him about 15 minutes, 20 minutes to cut a promo because he kept on messing it up. So, 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 so that part's true, um, but uh, without having seen the movie. Um, I guess the, the the closer you were to the history of that family, maybe the more you maybe you, you more uh, you got the feeling that no, it wasn't really true to life. But people who aren't familiar with the Von Erichs, which a lot of people aren't, they probably thought, oh, but well, this is a nice story. Uh, but uh, that to me, if I see that, if if I go to see that movie. That's the part I'm going to laugh about most is him trying to cut a promo. 
and I, I actually did get to wrestle him up there on on one of the shows. And in fact, one of the uh, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook had just sent me the video uh, of that match. And oddly enough, uh, where we were at, Kevin tried to get into the ring, and he sort of missed uh, the. Um, there was a gap between the stage where we were on and the ring, and he actually fell before getting into the ring, and he cut himself. <laughs> he, he hit his head. So there was blood in that match. So uh, that was interesting. I almost wish that was in the movie. Then I would go, then I would go see it. <laughs> I was going to ask if you would wrestle with Kevin when uh, the ICW and World Class merger went. I'll just... Being around Kevin Von Erich at shows in that time frame, uh, this was in an era where he admittedly had a lot of substance issue problems and was not in the best of state. I know he actually collapsed in a match and his opponent had to perform CPR at one point in that time frame. Did you get a sense from being on shows with him that something wasn't right with him, or did you not know enough about him to know that maybe there was a problem? I, I just didn't. Um, I just didn't know that uh, he was uh, that bad off in terms of in terms of the drugs. I just don't know if, if he was just you know. Um, a guy that was sort of out there, or if it was because of the drugs, um, I never understood why he wrestled barefoot uh, myself. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought that you know, uh, a lot of guys were on drugs back then, uh, so it wasn't the, it, it 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 almost okay. Maybe this is the way the guy came, you know. Maybe he, uh, you know, maybe he had some concussions somewhere along the line. Just said, okay, this guy just can't. This guy can't cut a promo. <laughs> that's that's what I left with. Now, in that time period as well, when professional wrestling was still sort of in the boom era, and the scandals hadn't hit the national companies yet. There is still a lot of pro wrestling on television, and here in 2024, we're seeing almost the same amount, if not more, wrestling on TV with the national groups. Several independent groups have television. A lot of companies now have streaming services that isn't quite the same but very very similar in concept to running television when you were wrestling were you wrestling the same on television the same way you would wrestle at a show without any tv cameras or did you have to adapt depending on which show it was uh I would say, I mean, obviously, when you're doing TV, the uh, if you are uh, working with a match with a with a newcomer, uh, then it's going to be a shorter match, right? But if you are one of the marquee matches, 
uh, on that TV show, uh, then that that's going to be longer. So, um, but for the most part, uh, when you're doing TV, uh, you're you're really sort of like telling a, a story, the, the storyline for the um, you know, for who they're building up, you know, who are the top guys coming in, things like that. But when you're working on house shows, uh, it, it's different, you know. So, um, uh, so, so there, so there was a difference in terms of how you would, uh, the, how the matches were. Now, now, nowadays, um, uh, at least on the independent shows, if they're streaming them, they're pretty much the same thing. Um, you don't have the squash mat uh, the squash matches like uh, uh, you used that you would have with WCW and, and, and WWE. Um, like back in the day, you would have your your uh, your experienced guys as beating up all, all, on the on the on the new guys, and um, you're 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 waiting for like that one marquee match. But now. Uh, they're trying to make all the matches marquee, and so the, the the product is different. One of the big things that was in wrestling, probably in various time frames, is the heavy use of steroids in wrestling. Uh, of course, the WWF was caught in the big steroid scandal of the 90s where Vince McMahon had to go to federal court. We know that lots of wrestlers at different time frames were using anabolic steroids to try to get bigger so they could get contracts with the national companies. Uh, Wrestling is, of course, a very uh, visual business where you want to look the part it doesn't seem to be as important now, so hopefully the steroids are not as prevalent. But from what you have seen throughout your entire career, do you think that the steroid problems have either come to an end or have slowed way down, or do you think they're still out there but just not talked about as much right now? Well, it, 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 it's, definitely, it's definitely slowed down. Because um, when um, I would say in the in the 80s uh, and even in the 90s, it was it was really big. Um, that's one of my claims to frame is that uh, I've never taken uh, any um, any any of those types of enhancements, whether it be um, anabolic steroids uh, or HGH. That's always been one of the things that I pride myself on is I've never taken them. Um, and my my character was one that uh, didn't really require that. You know, I I spend six uh, six days a week in the gym even now, um, and so I like the natural look. I'm built like an old school wrestler, barrel chested. Um, not uh, I'm not cut up like a bodybuilder, um, but uh, I really found that. Some of the guys who, who were on, on, on the steroids, um, who were the bodybuilder types, really weren't good wrestling-wise. Um, but, uh, but with McMahon uh, promoting the product that he was, 
uh, people needed to have that size. That's what, but that's what people wanted. Now, um, you still have guys that are obviously on them, but it's not many. But you know, when when Vince wants to Vince or or, or AEW has somebody who's a big, you know, giant size guy, well, the guy's obviously going to be on the steroids. Now, on the uh, on the indie side, it's almost in the opposite direction. Uh, there are a lot of guys that uh, that are wrestlers or, or booked as wrestlers. And, and some of them have some some nice techniques. They're they're good high flyers, uh, but they're they're under 200 pounds or under under 180 pounds, and it, it's not uh, part of the visual aspect like you mentioned before. It's sort of taken away because these guys aren't big, and, and some of them aren't aren't even in a gym that much. So, uh, and, and, and for me, that's great, because on an indie card, uh, I'm quite seasoned, but sometimes one of the best-built guys on the card. But uh, there's definitely, overall, uh, I think there's more of a, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's the, the, the guys themselves, they're, 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 you don't have people who are totally, totally jacked up uh, like they were back in the day. And I think that's good overall because um, you don't want guys to uh, – there's a lot of guys that have died early that uh, know we're abusing the uh, steroids. And um, it's, really, it's really sad to see them go because of that. As someone that has been around for quite a while, obviously you have traveled a lot, put in countless miles. For people that are new to the wrestling business or looking to get into the wrestling business, do you have any travel tips that would help a wrestler make his road trips more successful? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, it was funny. One of the the guys that I was uh, uh, sort of a mentor for when um, when he first started was Steve Carino. And one of the things I told Steve back in the day, the first thing you got to do is learn how to read a map. Uh, this is before GPS, right? Because that's I mean, because we would go to um, when you were an indie a guy who's really getting booked uh, in different spots. Uh, you got to learn how to, you got to, you had to learn, you had to learn how to read a map because we would be up to Maine. We would go out to Ohio. We would go down to North Carolina, Virginia. And so you had to know how to go around. But uh, I was always one of the guys that, um, uh, that a lot of the guys looked up to because I actually, I actually made money on the indies, and and that's because I knew how to cut corners. I knew how to save money. I knew how to travel. So one of the things that that the young guys really need to do is get a fuel-efficient car that's dependable, and also you want to travel with guys. So if you can meet up with guys, even if they're not close to where you're at, if they're on the route, meet up with the guys. Go together. Right. If you have to get a room, you split a room. I remember up in Maine, we had seven guys in a room once. 
Named five guys and two midgets. We are going to make the midgets sleep in the drawers, right? But we, we, we were able to cut corners that way. Um, so you, you definitely want to travel with somebody when you're, when you're a new guy and you're not making big money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also want to try, if you have merchandise, you want to try and do merchandise. Um, it is, uh, it, it's tough now. It's tough now because there's so many guys that are out there. And I know promoters are paying guys, you know, maybe enough to get gas. Uh, so you have to uh, be able to pull resources together. Um, you, again, that's, I think that's probably the biggest thing in terms of traveling. If you, if you have to get a hotel room, if the promoter's picking it up, all right, you're fine. But if not, you need to put, uh, you need to put as many people as you can in that um, uh, in that hotel room, and you have to pull the you have to pull the mattress off and sleep on the box spring. Somebody else sleeps on the mattress. Well, that's what you got to do. Well, we're down to the final minute of today's show, King Kalua, and I want to make sure that there's ample time for you if you would like to say anything to the listeners in closing, and if you want to plug absolutely. Anything and everything from social media to appearances, merchandise, your favorite steakhouse, anything at all, floor is all yours. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Well, uh, I, I am working on getting a merchandise site, but if anyone's interested in any King Kalua merchandise, uh, just friend me on Facebook at Michael Kalua. Uh, I got some shows coming up. I'm going to be in Lewistown, Pennsylvania in February. Uh, I, I'm going to be in uh, in the Allentown area, in the uh, I'm going to be Allentown, Pennsylvania, in March. I'm also going to be in um, I'm also going to be in Gloucester, New Jersey, uh, and I have a couple other dates that are coming up uh, as well in the um, uh, in the near future. I generally will post them on my Facebook. So I'd love to see people come out and um, boo me on. Uh, but I'd just like to thank you for having me booked on this, um, uh, on your, on your um, presentation here. Um, again, it, it's, it's nice to be able to have people appreciate people who are experienced uh, and can, uh, can, can tell you stories from back in the day. So... Um, Thanks for the opportunity. Our pleasure to have you here, and hopefully it won't be the last time that we have you here, and hopefully our paths time. I hope so. Hopefully we can, I can get down to North Carolina uh, at some point uh, uh, during this year, but you never know where I'm going to show up. <laughs> so um, uh, uh, I'd pop up at places you, you wouldn't even think. So. Uh, Possibly so. even Alaska. <laughs> Maybe even Alaska, right? If they if they if they want an old guy up there with old school experience, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We definitely appreciate you, fans. If you are not familiar with King Kalua, make sure you remedy that fantastic talent. There's a lot out there on YouTube and other sources to learn more. Go see a show if he is on it. 
and what he does out there. You can find us on the airwaves right back here on Sunday afternoon, coming up this Sunday at a very special time, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern. We have the Drip Goat, Cosmo Williams with us. And one week from today, we have Texas-based independent wrestling star, Reggie Lincoln back on the program, so make sure you have plans to join us. Everybody stay safe out there. Get out there support your local independents if you have some near you, and we will talk to you soon. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.